I'm Damian Volwa, Managing Editor of The Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, sports in the pandemic. One of our favorite guests, columnist Ann Killian, is here. We'll talk about a bunch of stuff, including the chaotic attempts to revive pro sports, even as the coronavirus spreads, and the rise of athletes' voices in the nationwide racial justice movement. I'll ask her a critical question. Does she think we will really have a baseball season? Anne, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. So, Anne, everything seems to be happening today, yesterday, all at the same time. Before we get into some of the specifics, what is it like to be a sports writer and a sports columnist in this time of uh, coronavirus? Well, it's been fascinating, actually. I mean, you know me, Damien. I mean, the, the things I like to write about are kind of the spot, the sweet spot where sports and society intersect. And that's all there is to write about right now. And it's actually been really interesting. Both um, a couple months ago, I did a series on what what a restart could look like, um, how sports could come back. And now we're actually kind of experiencing that a, a tiny bit. Um, and then you throw in, you know, the social justice movement. Um, on top of that, I, you know, I've been writing about Colin Kaepernick since he was uh, a senior or a, since his last year at Reno. Um, so, you know, I feel like that's something I write about a lot. So it's just, it's been it's been fascinating. There's a lot to write about right now. Yeah, it feels like before the the pandemic, there was this debate about whether to stick to sports, which was being extended to both to athletes and to sports writers. <laughs> and what a th- what a thing to say right before the world changed. Huh? Yeah, well, I mean, we've heard that a lot the last couple of years. You know, the shut up and dribble to LeBron James, and and you know the stuff to Steve Kerr and Steph Curry. Um, you know, I don't think any, very many people in the Bay Area subscribe to that. I think we've embraced a long tradition of activism with with some of our favorite athletes. So I think that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, but it's definitely an interesting time and having it, um, you know, the social protests, uh, happen in the time of the pandemic is just, you know, this, this really interesting intersection. I, I hope I live long enough to see some of the history books written about, about this, this period of time, cause it's going to be really, really interesting. Well, you might have to write one, of course. <laughs> um, I <laughs> hope you do. Um, so, Anne, let's let's get down to a few of these issues you've been writing about. Um, first of all, what is going on with baseball? So, baseball has um, been really interesting because, you know, I think I think this pandemic, this situation, this crisis, just you you really everyone kind of reveals themselves, um, and baseball sadly has revealed, um, you know, what it's what it's all about and and the issues that that you know stalled a reopening had very little to do with health and had everything to do with money and the two sides just couldn't come to an agreement and so finally uh the commissioner just imposed this 60 game schedule and um and kind of forced everyone's hand and they tossed out a 113 page operations manual and uh said you know everybody report 4th of July weekend and Gosh, it's going super swimmingly so far. Um, I guess what happens when you, you know, don't really um, uh, pay attention to the details and you rush things and you're just trying to get a schedule in so that your owners can collect the um, 
revenue from televised playoff games, which is really where they're trying to get, um, you know, you can kind of understand that there might be some problems. And the problems, it's just stunning to me that the problems arose immediately. Like, it didn't take a day. It didn't take two days. It arose right away from the intake tests that players were supposed to go through before they had their first official workouts. And both of our teams here have been impacted. Um, The A's were just livid because their intake tests sat at SFO airport supposedly for two days before uh, going to the lab in Utah that MLB has centralized a lab um, in Utah for all the teams. And that lab appears not to be able to handle um, the, the test. So the A's didn't have a full workout until late Monday night. Um, then the Giants had to call off a workout Tuesday. Uh, the Nationals, the reigning World Series champions, had to call off a, a workout. The Cardinals, um, the Astros. And, you know, as as one Chris Bryant from the Cubs said, this is the easy part. Like, Intake tests. Everyone knows, like, you come in, you get tested, and then you get a, you know, when you get your results, then you start work. If they can't even actually get this part done, um, it just, it seems uh, um, hard to believe that it's going to go smoothly from here on out. And this is the one thing that when I was doing the series on what sports would look like after coronavirus or or with a restart everyone said the only way that you could get started again was testing 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 is going to be the key issue quick tests lots of tests um you know easy tests and obviously we're not there yet and and uh they're supposed to be tested every other day so now you just can imagine that that there's going to be a backup and then you know jake diekman one of the um uh, pitchers for the A's who has a high risk condition himself. So he's super alarmed by this. And he said, you know, then what happens if you go on the road and you're supposed to have a game and your test hasn't come back, you know, and it's been four or five days. It's, it's hard to imagine how this is going to work because it started off so badly. And, uh, and both the, the people I've talked to on both the Giants and the A's have described it as a hiccup. I would say it's more like a really like, disturbing, disgusting belch that would signify something <laughs> internally is going wrong. It seems like way more than a hiccup. Wow. Um, you mentioned a couple of the players, Chris Bryan, obviously the great uh, third baseman for the Cubs, Jake Diekman. Um, how are they feeling? I mean, we're hearing about players that may opt out instead of play. Um, and it adds this this new dimension. I mean, to think about, I think on on the Giants, Buster Posey is considering it. I mean, how do you play without some of these stars? And and what are the how are the players describing sort of their thought process? Well, I I think um, when someone like Buster says, "Yeah," I think if you talk to anyone, of course, everyone is thinking about whether you know this is a good idea. Um, I think I think he speaks probably for everyone or at least everyone of a certain age and introspection. I mean, is it worth it? We don't know enough about this disease at all. And why would an an athlete take even a minimal risk 
to for you know pot- a potential future with reduced lung capacity or some of the other serious things that that are starting to crop up in in longer term i mean there are no long term studies about this disease so it's a risk for everyone and and um yeah i mean i think there's a lot of guys who are probably seriously considering if this is worth it the the other thing is as i alluded to the the negotiations leading up to the restart were just completely lacking in trust. The owners uh, did not treat the players with trust. The The players, for good reason, don't trust the owners at all to have their best interests at heart. So, I mean, just think about for yourself, if what do we need the most right now in our, any of our personal environments? It's we have to trust each other. We have to trust that the person next to us is doing the right thing. We have to trust that when we go into the store, most of the people are going to be doing the right thing. We, you know, the whole, the whole world right now has to operate on a level of trust. And I think these first few days in baseball has just annihilated the concept of trust, especially when not only are there these, these terrible interruptions that are clearly affecting many teams in the league, but the, the league itself has issued these kind of ridiculous press releases. The first one came on Friday and said, well, we only have a 1.2% positive test rate. Well, now we know that there were lots and lots of tests that weren't complete. And then they issued another statement after all this stuff happened on Monday saying there were just a few isolated incidents and everything's going to be fine. And it's like, well, if you're talking about the Giants, the A's, the Angels, the Cardinals, the, the Nationals, the Astros. That's not that's not a few isolated incidents. That's a, that's a lot of teams. So I, I don't think that what Major League Baseball is putting out there is credible. I don't think there's any kind of trust involved in the. I, I think like the players on the A's trust that their executives and the coaches have their best interests at heart. Same with the Giants. But on a on a bigger level, I, I don't see that anyone trusts anyone to be doing the right thing. And I don't know if anyone knows how this is going to work. As Buster Posey said in his Zoom call, when he looked out at all the people wearing masks on the call, he said, what are we doing? Which, you know, it's kind of the, the big question. What are we doing? I mean, you look at the lines in in Texas and Arizona and New Orleans for people trying to get tests. And yet these guys are getting hundreds of tests in Major League Baseball. And yet they're not even being processed. Like the whole, it, it's just super illogical, I think, for most okay. people. Before we move off baseball to a couple other topics, one simple question. Ann Killian, <laughs> are we, are we going to have a baseball season? I I don't think so. I've been a skeptic from the start ever since I did that series that ran in early May about how base, how sports could restart. I've been pretty cynical about the fact that we could have anything this year. And um, I think they're going to try. But given how these first couple of days have gone, I find it hard to think that on July 23rd, we're going to woohoo, we're going to open a season. And even if they do, I don't imagine it's going to last 60 games. It's just, it seems that there's, there's going to be too many, it's too difficult. It's it's just hard to imagine how it's going to work. 
Well, I hope uh, for a rare occasion you're wrong on this one. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's take a break, and when we come back, more with sports columnist Ann Killian. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, here with sports columnist Ann Killian. We were talking about baseball, and I wanted to uh, try to address a few other issues in this crazy time in the sports world. First off, um, now I know you, you'll be watching and covering some games, if there are games, on television, but I wonder what it's going to be like when some of these big sports resume in the stadiums and for the players without fans there. Um, how much of a change is that going to be, and how, how weird is that going to be? Um. I'm a big soccer fan, and I've been so I've been watching soccer. Uh, I've been watching the Bundesliga and the and the Premier League and some of the NWSL in Utah. I don't think it's that weird. I I don't think it's that weird. I don't I don't think it's that weird for um for the players. Uh, I think the piped in noise in the soccer games that is for the audience is weird because we know no one's in the stands yet they're piping in noise. But I I think. Uh, what would be very bad and is a possibility in baseball, and I, I imagine um, I, we can't even talk about the NFL yet because nobody knows what's happening there. But uh, some some states might allow fans, and then others won't, like California won't. And I think that's unfair because I do think it changes the environment. Um, I think you can play without fans. You can play competitive games without fans. But I think if one team gets to have fans and then no one, you know, other teams don't get to have fans, that just changes the fundamental environment. I don't think that's a a fair situation. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I wanted to also, you've written some columns about this uh, moment in America and around the world on racial justice. How have you seen the landscape change in terms of athletes speaking out um, and their role in the debate? Well, it's been pretty remarkable because, like I said before, this is something that I have been covering for years and um, am pretty fascinated by. And it it has accelerated so quickly through the George Floyd protests. And I think the pandemic has something to do with it. It has to do with, you know, players... Athletes are not being set told, you know, well, you have a game on Friday, so you can't do that. Or, you know, they're not, there isn't the distraction of the, the, their regular routine and athletes tend to be creatures of routine. So there's, there's a lot more time and willingness to speak out. And I think the fact that the coronavirus is really obviously impacting people of color in extreme percentages compared to the rest of the population uh, also, it you know it changes the dynamic of of how everyone's feeling. I think uh, things that I didn't think would actually happen have happened really quickly, like NASCAR banning the Confederate flag, like uh, you know a, a NASCAR uh, car being driven with the National Civil Rights Museum logo on it, uh, like the the Washington football team saying that it's going to change its racial slur name and and getting a lot of corporate pressure from its sponsors like FedEx to do it. Um, you know, these are things that have been talked about that have been pushed on for years and suddenly they're starting to fall like dominoes. And I think it's, it's you know, it's just this place we are in our country um, where there's um, 
Uh, you know, we have someone in the White House who is using race as an issue at all times and, and seems to double down on it every day. Uh, anyone who thought that some of these issues, if not behind us, were at least um, in some parts of the country anyway, had been figured out. I think we are all understand that that's not even remotely true. And so it's just it's been a really interesting thing. And it's really interesting to see. And a, a lot of it is also the advent of social media and that and that, you know, with every passing day, young athletes have their voices and and um, and understand the power of their words and what they can say on social media. And and so it's been it's just been really fascinating to watch. And, you know, I, I think it's it's going to once once sports really starts, I, I don't think it's going to go away. I think I think this is a moment that's going to last. Yeah, it's remarkable to watch. I mean, protesters in the streets taking a knee like Colin Kaepernick did to such controversy um, and and now having that come full circle. Right. Um, but not only protesters in the streets, but people in the Capitol, um, sure. you know, uh, elected politicians. And, and you know, I, I feel I, I won't say I know Colin really well, but I, I know him a little and I've known him for a long time and I've watched the evolution and he has I think played it very smart. He has never tried to be um get out there and fight with people. He is he has just let his actions do the talking including his actions of spending his own money to support causes and and to be active. So I think it's 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 gratifying to see the change in his legacy and to and to say this is what it was always about. It was never about what these other people, his critics wanted to say it was denigrating or what it was about. And, and what I, I think is going to be really interesting, one of the things that happened a few weeks ago was when Drew Brees, uh, you know, said the knee jerk, well, I'll never dishonor the flag. And his teammates and his peers jumped on him because it's that same old rhetoric that wasn't was not true to begin with. And he had, he backed off. And if, if the, if the powerful white athletes are going to stand in support, that's going to be the biggest change or kneel in support, whatever. If they're going to support their, their teammates of color in this fight, um, that's what really needs to happen. Sure. Before I let you go, it's, it's late Wednesday and Stanford has announced that it's getting rid of 11 sports after the current academic year, varsity sports. Yeah. So much is changing. What are we to make of that? Well, we're to make of it that if Stanford's doing it, you know, that's there's going to be a lot of other schools to do it. I will say Stanford has um, the second most sports of any uh, Division One school in the country. And the one with the first most sports is Harvard. Um, Harvard has 40 sports. Stanford had 36. Um, that's a lot. You know, no one if you look at the top 25 schools with lots and lots of sports, uh I think two of them are public. One is Ohio State. Um, so it's not the norm to have that many varsity sports. Uh, it's expensive. Um, Stanford has, this, I think, the third biggest endowment. It's something like $27 billion or something in, in, in the country um, behind Harvard and Yale. But uh, I guess they are choosing not to funnel any funds into these 11 sports that um, you know, most people probably didn't know that Stanford had a varsity uh, synchronized swimming team or a, or, or a varsity uh, uh, 
co-ed sailing team. Well, we probably knew about that because that was the coach that got caught up in the admission scandal and and actually got uh, sentenced um, to, about a year ago. But so it, it's I think I think what we're going to see is other schools are going to have to start dropping sports. I think I think this pandemic is an accelerator and it's going to accelerate a whole bunch of changes in college sports that were probably coming anyway. Yeah, well, I know you're disappointed. Uh, people might not know this, but you were a synchronized swimmer in college, <laughs> weren't you? I, I can barely keep afloat. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> All right. Ann Killian, thanks so much for, for coming in again and spending the time. All right. Good to talk to you. Thanks to my guest today, sports columnist Ann Killian, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. 